Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is a college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hi guys, welcome to Veritas. I got a little antsy walking up here a little early tonight. Um, But I'm Emily McHenry, if we haven't met yet. I'm on staff here with Veritas. I've been on staff for a couple years now since I graduated from Mizzou a couple years ago. Um, I'm married to Nick McHenry, who you might recognize. He's actually up here on front, in front, way more than I am. Um, But yeah, I'm actually really excited about what I have to teach you guys tonight. This is the part of the introduction that speakers will show you pictures of their kids and tell funny stories about them, but we don't have kids yet. And I would love to tell you funny stories about my dog and make a dog mom joke here, but I also don't have a dog. Thanks for bringing it up. I'm allergic. But growing up, I actually had no idea that I was allergic to dogs. Uh, We always had them around and big fluffy dogs too. We had a golden retriever, like an Aussie border collie mix, a couple mutts that shed a lot, and a yellow lab that sheds a lot, just really big fluffy dogs and someone who didn't know that they were allergic to them. And as you can maybe imagine, I was sick a lot growing up. Pretty much my entire childhood, I uh, was sick pretty consistently about every month, and my mom had to keep a health journal for me, kind of detailing my symptoms and dating them. At one point, I had to go into the doctor every time I thought I was going to get sick, which at that time was like once a month, and get my blood drawn, which is terrifying as a child and as an adult, but especially as a child. At one point, we saw an immunologist um, who was testing for a type of cancer that they thought maybe I had or something that was affecting my immune system so much that I was getting sick or that I was getting sick so dang much. Eventually, we really never figured it out until I, a couple years ago, actually, when I decided to see an allergist for the first time. So I got stuck and I got poked, and then my allergist called me in to his office when he, and he showed me the results of my allergy test, and turns out I was very allergic to dogs, also cats, which grew up with those two, Uh, trees, mold, grass, and a bunch of different pollens that you probably don't really care about. He then explained to me how my whole life we had been coming at this kind of like all wrong, that most likely my colds and my sinus infections and kind of like unexplainable sick days, that those weren't the problem in and of themselves, but they were most likely a symptom of something that was going on all along. Why am I telling you this? Well, I think that it's really easy as a culture and as Christians to do the same thing, treat symptoms without going deeper to find actual problems. Only tonight, I don't wanna talk about runny noses and sore throats. Fun fact, I'm not a doctor. But I did wanna talk about how we are 
collectively overly busy, tired, exhausted, and restless. And we don't know what to do about it. I mean, how many of you, when asked casually, how are you? You say, good, busy. Or, good, pretty tired. I had three exams this week, two papers. I'm planning and hosting a birthday party this weekend. My dad's coming in town tonight, and I think I've slept a total of five hours this entire week. But you know what? I'm good. How are you? Busyness has become a sort of status symbol, something that we low-key boast about while also complain about to friends and acquaintances alike. And then when we have any kind of free time, we turn to things like Netflix and video games to kind of turn our brains off, kick back a little bit and relax. Only we don't watch a few episodes of Netflix. No, we, we binge hours and hours of it. And how many of you, after having binged those hours and hours of Netflix, I know you've never been there, you get to the end and you say, you know what? I feel so good about myself and my life. I am re-energized, ready to take whatever tomorrow brings, and I feel closer to God after that. No. Here's the thing. Yes, we're busy and we're distracted and we're tired, but these are symptoms of the problem. There's something much bigger and deeper going on at a soul level. And that is, we don't know how to rest well. And I've been on two pretty extreme sides of the spectrum. Uh, my freshman year of college, starting with, at ground zero with friends and commitments, I rested, but I did not rest well. I cruised through all of the Netflix like classics, like The Office, uh, Breaking Bad, Parks and Rec, Friends. I mean, if people talk about it, I watched it. And I was napping all the time and sleeping in all the time. And I was skipping class to work on homework because I was napping and watching Netflix when I should have been working on classwork in the first place. I'm sure you've never been there. And then that was until one day, mom and dad, who, yes, they're here, but cover your ears. Um, one day I was sitting in art appreciation, RIP, and I remember this vividly. My professor started going through the answers to an exam. And I just, none of the ans none of these questions looked familiar. Like the content didn't look familiar. And I just started panicking, um, racking my brain. Like, what was I doing last Thursday? Holy crap, I skipped this exam. Oh my gosh, I skipped an exam. My freshman year of college. Um, so my sophomore year, this is kind of swinging to the opposite end of this spectrum. I did everything I possibly could to not binge and sleep my year away. I was consistently staying up to 2 or 3 a.m. Uh, doing homework um, because if I tried to go to bed earlier than that, then I was stressed that I wasn't doing homework, and so I just had to do homework. And if I wanted to go to bed before then, I actually had to take a sleeping aid. Um, and this isn't, an, this isn't an exaggeration. I was drinking like six or seven cups of coffee each day to just keep myself awake and functioning because I just wasn't sleeping well. I was so stressed about work. And 
I hope that you haven't been as bad as I've been on really either sides of that spectrum. But even if you're not, I think that you can see and maybe even feel that there's a problem and it probably runs deep. We don't know how to rest well. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about why we should rest and how we should rest. And while I can't get into everything the Bible says tonight about rest, I did want to look at two specific passages in Scripture that I think can help reshape the way that we think about rest. The first is in Exodus, and it's the first time that we ever see the Ten Commandments. So God just brought the Israelites or God's chosen people out of slavery from Egypt, where they had been enslaved for hundreds of years. So let's pick up in Exodus 20, verse 8. You can read along. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your, within your gates. So let's slow down a second. There's a few words in here that I wanna make sure that we understand before we move on. And that first word is the word Sabbath. Um, if it isn't already a literal foreign word to you, it probably is a foreign concept. And so what does it mean to Sabbath? Sabbath built into the word itself is to stop, to rest, to cease. So here, God is telling his people that six days of the week, they are to work, but the seventh, they are to stop. Stop working, stop thinking about work, stop striving, and stop worrying about work. And then what does it actually mean to keep a day holy? If you've been around the church for a while, um, the word holy is thrown around a lot, and we can often forget what it even means in the first place. And so for anything to be holy, it means that it has to be set apart for God's purposes. And so just so we don't miss this in its own context, let's break this down. So this day, this Sabbath day, this day of stopping and resting, it has to be holy or set apart from the rest of the week. In other words, the rest of the week, it's going to want to try and seep in it's unfinished work, it's unfinished worries. These things are gonna try and creep in, but they are to keep this distinct and separate from the rest of their week. It has to look and feel different. Also, God doesn't say that the Sabbath will be holy, but that the Israelites as human beings have to fight to keep this day holy or set apart that they have an active responsibility in Sabbath keeping to keep it distinct and separate from the rest of their week. The other thing is that for something to be holy, it has to be set apart for God's purposes. And so in other words, God didn't give his people just any day off to turn their brains off, kick back a bit and relax. No, he gave his people a day off to recalibrate their hearts back to him. And so with that kind of foundation laid, let's continue. Um, this is still in that command of Sabbath, but picking up in verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all is in them and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Why should we rest? Because God himself rested. And this is super interesting, or at least I think it's interesting, but this commandment, it grounds itself in the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 which shows us that embedded into the very order of creation is a rhythm of work and rest. If you aren't familiar with the creation account, that's totally okay. There's a ton packed in there. Um, But kind of zooming out a little bit, in this we see God create light from darkness, order from chaos, land and sky and water and plants and animals and everything in this world. And he pauses and calls each of these things good. So in Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, after God just finished all of his work and declared it very good, we read that by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from the work of creating he had done. So when we get off this rhythm of work and rest, we're going to feel the consequences of it. My guess is some of us probably already do. It's because we're going against a rhythm that was created for us and for our good. We we see this rhythm of rest and work over and over again throughout the Old and New Testaments and all the way back to when God created the world itself. The second place I wanted to look at was in Deuteronomy 5. Here, Moses is reminding the Israelites of the Ten Commandments. This is 40 years after what we just read. And in pretty much all of the ways, this command to Sabbath is the exact same. But then Moses tacks on something pretty interesting to the end. And so picking up in verse 12, this will look pretty familiar. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And then he goes on to really emphasize and describe each person who shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath day. But picking up, he tacks on, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Moses is talking here to the first generation of Israelites to grow up in freedom. For hundreds of years, their parents, grandparents, and ancestors, they were slaves to Egypt. Slaves who didn't ever get a day off. Slaves who were uh, seen as less than a commodity and as only good for the work that they did. And so here, Moses is pleading with the Israelites, remember what God has done. Remember that you were once slaves who were only defined by what you did. Remember that your people were not identified as God's chosen people but we're only seen as good for the work that they provided. I think, and this wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And I think that as we rest, we have to remember the same thing. That when we put our hope in Christ, we are no longer defined by the work that we do. 
We are called to rest because by doing so, we are living out the truth that we are not defined by what we do. That we are defined by what Christ has done on our behalf. Not anything that we could do or ever have done. We rest by remembering what God has done and by remembering what God has done, we are able to truly rest. As we live out this truth, which I'm gonna be honest with you, is so hard for me to actually truly deep down in my heart believe that I'm not defined and identified by what I do or what people see me do. But this truth that I'm actually not defined by those things, this becomes a tangible and present reality that I'm literally living into and out of when I rest. When we regularly find rest in God, we regularly remind ourselves that the very core of who we are is what Christ has done. And so how do we rest? And more specifically, how do we rest in a way that addresses this heart of the issue and not just the symptoms of it? About a year ago, I started asking myself the same questions actually. And while I'm not an expert on rest and I definitely don't always do it perfectly, I wanted to share a little bit about what this has looked like in my own life. So for me, learning how to rest well has meant that I literally set aside a 24 hour period every week to Sabbath. My husband and I, we follow what it seems like people in the Old Testament and the New Testament did. And we go Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. We've read and we've prayed a lot about this and given our personalities and this season of life, this is what works for us. We found it not to be legalistic, but actually really, really life-giving. And that might not work for you and that's totally okay. I am so not interested in getting you to do exactly what I do. But I did wanna leave you with some principles to take with you. Um, to help you find true rest in your own rhythm of work and rest. And so this first element of resting well is built into the word Sabbath itself. And that is to stop, rest, cease. Stop studying, stop errands and running chores, stop from work. And as you stop, this is the kicker, Stop thinking about studying and to-do lists and chores and who you're gonna hang out with tomorrow and, 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 and. Which for some of us and for me included, this is so hard. And I think that it's so hard for us because at its core, stopping is a trust issue. A story that illustrates this well is about a group of settlers traveling out west on wagons from St. Louis to Oregon on the Oregon Trail. They were Christians and they made sure to stop one day each week while they were traveling to observe the Sabbath. That was until autumn started to set in and started to get cold. And so arguments broke out and which ended up actually splitting the group into two. And one group continued to observe the Sabbath uh, one day a week while the other group decided to press on all seven days of the week. Which group do you think reached Oregon first? Contrary to what I predicted, it was the group who kept the Sabbath. 
both their people and their horses could travel much more efficiently the other six days of the week because they were physically and spiritually replenished. This is probably the opposite of how you think about work and rest. I know that it has been for me. But actually stopping from work, this requires us to trust God. Do I trust that he can provide for me? Do I trust that my identity is truly not in what I do? Do I trust that God is God who continues to work even when I stop? When we stop, we recognize our humanity, our finiteness, and our limits. And we recognize God as God who continues to work even when we don't. The second element of resting well is to delight, to seek things out that lead you to experience joy. My husband and I, we try and treat Sabbath like it's Christmas every week. It's really honestly become our favorite day of the week. We, in delighting, we posture our hearts to find joy in God first, and we make time for things that spark joy and wonder and gratitude and happiness. For me, that means that I prioritize getting outside at some point on my Sabbath because being in nature does spark wonder and gratitude for me. Before the stay-at-home order, we invited a friend or two over for a really nice meal and we would ball out on that nice meal. And we've also made it a, a fun tradition to make Belgian waffles every morning and I will tell you that we have the best recipe for that. But, and I think this is really cool that part of true rest for us actually has to include delight and celebration. That we pause to reflect on God's goodness and give thanks for his good gifts. And, and this is hard, but slow down long enough to actually enjoy them. What do you like to do? What brings you real joy? And what is something that you don't get to make time for now, but you wish that you did? The third and last characteristic that I'll talk about tonight of resting well is restful worship. Or another way to think about this is to just nourish your relationship with God. Um, so on my Sabbath, I set aside more time than I get to on a usual weekday to really study God's word, journal, and pray. At some point on the Sabbath, I get together with my husband, but this would be a really great practice to do with a roommate or a really good friend. Um, but we set aside time to ask intentional questions about how we're doing spiritually and how we can pray for one another. This also means that I eliminate the almost restful things that might try and pull me in. So on the Sabbath, I delete my social media apps for the day. I silence my email. I limit TV to only a few episodes that I watch with other people. I also run errands and try and do my chores before the Sabbath, because if you know anything about me, dishes and laundry are not restful or worship for me personally. But stop, delight, and restful worship, these things, they have to build on one another. So First, we have to slow down and stop. Only then 
Will we be at a pace that we are able to recognize and delight and enjoy the gifts of God and nourish our relationship with him? Moving forward and as the music team comes up, my intention here is not to put another thing on your probably already overflowing plate. But resting is about removing things to make a more room for a healthy and flourishing relationship with Jesus. So this week, take an honest look at your personality, your stage of life, and your commitments, and pair that with your physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. Remember, you're a whole person. And find a rhythm of work and rest that works for you. Give it a couple months, revise, and then try again. Let's not just throw things at the symptoms here, but let's examine the real problem and take steps to orient our entire hearts, our entire routines, and our entire selves towards Christ. A well-known quote from St. Augustine that I think says it really well is, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. So Jesus, help us, Help us to learn how to rest in you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.